Hey, you know what? I think we should do a show. It's the fifth, fifth season. Start it up. Fifth season. Fifth. Five. <laughs> Number five is alive. Okay, let's hit this thing. All right, let's go. Whoa. Live from KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, this is Arcade Radio. How do you like that? That's the new intro. And hello, and thank you for listening in from the Arcadosphere. This is Season 5, Episode 1 of the Arcade Radio Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 5th, 2020, and the time is now approximately 7.24 p.m. Central. I'm your host, Dr. K. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark. They really clean this place up. Shields and Paradise Arcade Shop proprietor and part-time magician, Brian Thurston Howell Armitage III. And joining us tonight, co-founder and former chairman of the legendary General Computer Corporation. Folks, please offer up a warm a warm round of applause for Mr. Doug McRae. Hello. Hey guys. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, the first thing we do is we talk a little bit about what we've been working on, which is a small segment to tell, you know, just like if you're whatever hobby you're doing. So, Doug, if it's not arcade games, maybe you're geocaching something. You could give us a little summary of that. Uh, Mark, why don't you give us an example of what you've been working on? Sure. I uh, recently purchased a PlayChoice 10. I've been cleaning that up. My garage is super heaving from the side, so I need to take some games to Conroe. Uh, that will not be one. That one's coming inside. I'm, I'm kind of liking that. Um, I'm also looking to buy land to build a big metal building that I'm going to live in and put arcade games and stuff. So I'm in the, in the middle of that. Um, and also, I picked up five more games because I just don't have enough from Coin-Op Warehouse. And that includes an Atari Super Breakout, Midway Wheels 2, a Midway Boot Hill, which I really like, and... Uh, an empty Nintendo punch-out cabinet. Actually, it has um, Blood Brothers installed, and it's missing a monitor. Oh, and an Atari System 1 Peter Pack Rat. Nice. So that's a lot. Wait, wait. So you got a PlayChoice 10. What I games did. do you have in your PlayChoice 10? Well, I have a Metroid in there that every, everybody's like, Oh yes. my god, I have to have Metroid! And I'm like, yeah, I've never played Metroid, by the way, so I probably don't. I've not been properly indoctrinated, but um, it has oh, it has a gun, and Duck Hunt is the only game on it. And, of course, it is not calibrated in any way, so I cannot kill any ducks. Uh, I don't even know if it's working, so I've got to go figure that out. That'll be fun. And then just a ton of the 
standards like Super Mario, Mario Brothers, uh, Balloon Hunt, I guess, or what is it? Balloon Fight or something? Yep. Balloon Fight. Um, I like that. There's ex- Excite Bites in it. I like that. Balloon Fight's like Joust. Yeah. It is. It's a, it is. And it's actually a lot of fun. I... I love Metroid, by the way. Yeah. That was one of the games I played. It's one of the few console games I played the heck out of. And so that that's that was a must-have. And I love the music in that game. <clears throat> Sweet. Yeah, so it's, it's everything. It all works. So I didn't have to do much. I just did some some spray paint renovation, you know, where I just sort of masked some places off. Got yeah. beautiful. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I've been uh, doing. Sweet. I have an announcement in the section that Adam tries to get rid of every two. By the way, Adam. Yeah. Like intro. Yeah, no my new gadgets. intro. Isn't it awesome? I love it. Yeah, with no gadgets. What? Oh, you're right. You raise the gadget cat tab. You move it, <laughs> and you don't put gadgets in the intro. Uh, you sound irritated. Oh, you really do. I can leave. I can leave. I can just. You can. Out. You already left. You're in Colorado. You. <laughs> I, I did. Jesus. <laughs> Hey, speaking of Colorado, I, sp- I suppose you're not allowed to use recreational uh, marijuana there. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, so it's one of the weird things. I, I've never smoked pot. Me neither. And I just never had an interest. But huh. I I can tell you what I've been working on. Yeah? Go ahead. Because there's a bunch of stuff. Right. So the biggest thing I've been working on, and I, I'll, you know, is that we are, we got a building in Rosedale. And we are opening an arcade at some point in the not-too-distant future. So um, we've got 150 games to get ready. Um, a good 100 or so of them are already ready. But uh, you Street know, Fighter, so. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so everything. War of the Worlds, Speed Freak. Um, there'll be Street Fighters there, Candy Cabinets there. Piranha? Crystal Castles, Piranha will not be there yet. I've oh. got to do a little bit more work on Piranha. But the Return of the Jedi is there in the new cabinet. Gauntlet, Tubin ended up there. Um, it's it's going to be a wide end. If everything works, um, hopefully uh, the cockpit Star Wars will be up there also. So you'll be able to play a cockpit Star Wars out on location. Um, Tend to think if there's any other really rare, exciting ones off the top of my head right now. It's a fun spot that it formerly a green mill, which I think they all went out of business, and it has an incredible bar in the middle. Are you keeping that, or what's that? Well, so at least for now, we're yeah. not going to be doing any food or drink. It's just going to be arcades, yeah, pay right. at the door, and you go in and you just play. Everything's on free play. And actually, I just ordered fifty of these easy coin-up buttons from John on KLV. So I'll give a little shout out. Reached out to him, told him that uh, I needed these things, and he worked with me on it. And um, he's getting them to us in time to open up the arcade. But they're these little tactile buttons you stick on your coin door, run the wires around the inside. So for games that don't have free play, you can actually put these on there. Yep. I've Sweet. got one on my disc of Tron I just added. There's actually, I'm looking at, so my Dragon Spirit and my Lost Tomb, which will not be in the arcade because they're out here in Colorado right in front of me right now both have them on there i know miranda uh, zyla out here used them extensively yeah and, well uh, she started with coins and i only run coins <laughs> oh <laughs> see and, flashy and, coins and that is always the debate the biggest problem with doing coins in an arcade now is that uh the, the number one thing you're having to fix are coin jams 
And so the thinking is is that this reduces the chance of that, plus it allows people to go in and out. Yep. Um, <laughs> and Billy7 is harassing me from the chat. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So we have a blueprint cabaret that's going in that'll be kind of fun. There, You know, there's probably going to be about a dozen games that uh, you won't see many other places and probably about six or seven games that won't be available anywhere else in the country on like outside of collections to play like so on public play which will be kind of fun so i'm pulling some of the rare stuff out of my collection and putting it in fun well i'll do i'll go next because you know we want to get through this so that doug can do it next you know yeah (laughs) so i've been working on a ton of things uh on the break uh it's good to be back uh uh missed being here every week and in the chat and by the way we are only going to be doing the show the show every other week as we normally used to do it my so. wife thanks you yep i thank me uh brian thanks me uh, a lot of and plus it's hard to get a guest every week when you have a, a day job so um i've been working on fixing stuff uh my centipede broke there was a color problem i fixed the, that board set i had a dead millipede board set that i bought that was untested uh i fixed that it turned out to be a cpu and 221 14 rams and and a uh a pokey uh mr video i've set up a mr video setup if you've been paying attention on the interwebs facebook thingy uh I posted a, a little picture of that. So my Nintendo and Donkey Kong have external LCD monitors now that are hung on the wall. So they display above them. So when you peek into that room, if you uh, want to see what people are playing, it's on the wall. It's kind of fun. Uh, just like those old days. Uh, my Popeye's had a video problem for a really long time. I fixed that. My Mr. and Mrs. Pac-Man was having a huge problem with uh, with uh, when you're playing and the ball went out the left out hole and reset the whole game. So I fixed that. It ended up being a 5101 RAM and I ended up buying a new MPU and replacing the whole thing. Uh, and then I fixed my Xenon, which was having a switch problem. And uh, but the chimes in my Pioneer. Uh, uh, Doug, you might be familiar with Pioneer, actually. I used to own one. Uh, that was the first uh, pinball machine I had uh, that I got from my brother. Uh, and that's how the whole business got started. Uh, my brother uh, was up at uh, Bowdoin College and uh, was living in a frat and came home one um, uh, Thanksgiving break and tried to convince my dad it would be a really good idea if he bought a pinball machine and set it up in his frat and got quarters off of it. So my dad decided it would be real good to teach my brother a lesson uh, that he has no mechanical ability whatsoever. (laughs) Um, His idea of overhauling it would be he would uh, clean the glass, uh, and that was about it, and and empty the quarters out. But my dad decided it would be a good business lesson for my older brother. So uh, my dad went in on it. Uh, They bought a uh, Pioneer pinball machine drove it uh, from New Jersey up to Maine and put it in his frat. And this is the only pinball machine in history, I believe, uh, that could run six months without any failures whatsoever. Uh, But it would run for six months. He would drive it home uh, each summer, and I would work on it and get it running perfectly again, and he'd take it back to school. Uh, And then eventually (laughs) he he went off to law school, uh, never became a mechanical guy whatsoever, and gave me the pinball machine. And so that pinball machine started up uh, my whole business of bringing that up to MIT. And I'll 
talk about that story later. All right, that's awesome. Wow. So my Pioneer, uh, Doug, you're familiar with the chimes inside of a Pioneer. So when you hit, yep. hit the, you know, <clears throat> pop bumpers and such, they go ding, da 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 ding ding. And uh, there's a little piece of uh, weather stripping, basically, that goes underneath the solenoids that kick that those chimes. And um, when it wears away, it makes a really loud clacking noise. <laughs> So you'll hear ding, but you also hear this like metal on metal noise, which is like, I don't know, like this. So it's, oh. it's not, it's not pleasant. No. And I, it really didn't bother me a whole lot because I didn't, I didn't know at first. But then I have a friend uh, who actually was on the show and in the first season, Jason Heiser. He, uh, he pointed out that they were clacking. And so then every time I played, it would bother the heck out of me. So then I finally, uh, I finally fixed it. So they and then I also fixed a a four board Donkey Kong um, stack which is on eBay right now, um, and that is I replaced all the sockets, all those uh, single single wipe sockets on the Donkey Kong boards. Now this one has dual wipe sockets on all of it, and I replaced a couple of caps too that were out of spec. But that thing's running nice. Oh, and and Halloween was here recently, and uh, Christine got me a couple of gifts that I thought I'd share on the air here. Uh, they're complimentary uh, trick-or-treat bags. The cool thing, though, is that they're sponsored by Chuck E. Cheese. Nice. Pizza Time Theater, <laughs> which is, is kind of cool. And then vintage? Or? Yeah, she found them at a thrift store. There was just a stack of them, and so she bought them. And then uh, she got me a couple of these, too. So this is a uh, Happy Halloween Circus Pizza, which is a Minnesota chain. Uh all gone. Norman Pink uh, started that business, uh, and Joe Lee, who was on our first season, um, talked about that that quite a bit. So that was fun. So, and then I also got over to uh, Brian's shop finally, uh, with COVID going on, and I was able to uh, pull out their his Journey machine, which was Journey's Journey, I think. That one was. Yep. yep. And I took a picture of all the wiring, so I can start to assemble my Journey. So that's going to be the next project. Uh, yeah, so that brings us to Doug. Doug, what have you been working on lately? Um, unlike you guys, I have not been working on fixing any pinball machines or video games. <laughs> uh, my collection uh, six years ago went off to Steve Golson, and he's curating them now until I have space to move them back into my uh, house. I had moved to Florida six years ago and just moved back to Boston, but we're in the city now and do not have enough space to take back my game. So uh, I am gameless. Um, my hobby, since you were asking that way, uh, has heavily been into geocaching. Uh, part of it, I have uh, 70 different, seven zero different geocaches out there uh, themed off of video games, the classic video games of the 80s. Um, and most of them, the container uh, that you find the cache in is uh, themed to the video game. There may be a puzzle that is based on the video game. And in many uh, cases, the location is connected into the game also. So I've had a lot of fun with that. That's cool. Uh, but very recently, um, meaning five days ago, my wife and I uh, hopped in our Tesla and drove from Boston to arrive in San Francisco just uh, a couple hours ago. Uh, to see our new grandson and our our way out uh here we uh stopped and uh, hiked into finding the oldest geocaches in 
South Dakota and Wyoming, Montana, uh, and Wisconsin, uh, which gives me the oldest geocaching in 48 of the states. Uh, I have three left since there's 51 states that count District of Columbia. But um, it's all part of my very avid geocaching hobby. When uh, COVID has uh, restricted me from traveling uh, significantly, I can at least still hop in a car and do it. Now, you could expand on that a little bit. You are not just collecting in the continental United States. Well, up, up until uh, COVID hit, um, I was still doing a lot of world traveling and trying to collect geocaches in different countries. I had gotten up to 131 different countries. Uh, for the year 2020, I had sites on nine more and was going to get up to 140, but all those plans got canceled. Uh, so... Uh, I'm awaiting uh, things to calm down in this world, and I'll be hopping back on airplanes and traveling to bizarre places of the world. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Where's your, fun. Where, where's your favorite geocache overseas? What was that? Um, probably uh, my favorite was um, a was was, um, was down in Antarctica, which, as part of it, uh, required uh, you go for a swim. Um, and so, uh, my wife and I both did a polar plunge. Um, the water had, uh, large chunks of ice floating in it. Uh, and, uh, they warned us ahead of time. The biggest problem we, we, we went in from the shore is that by the time you try coming back out, uh, your feet are totally numb and you'll bang your toes on the rocks and get all bloody and whatever. Um, but, oh my God! Uh, we, that sounds like a great time. That would be my favorite too. It, it, it was uh, about nine in the morning, and we had already finished uh, two thirds of a bottle of tequila to uh, oh build God. up uh, 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 courage, and uh, it warmed us up also. So, uh, well, that they, was all part of a geocaching dare, kind of. What's that Amazing. movie, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, or something? But there was somebody that survived the Titanic um, incident because they drank too much. So, kept their blood viscous, I guess. That's just yep. crazy. That's just crazy. Uh, so, that, that's amazing. So, you're, you're, you're well, obviously well-traveled. And uh, I can't believe you picked Antarctica. Was it Antarctica? Antarctica. Wow. Wow. It's funny because my mother just got back from there and did a polar plunge out off the back of one of the boats. What the heck? Yeah. I mean, people do that in Minnesota, too, right? That's a big thing in the middle of winter. So the legend is if you do it off the back of a boat, uh, they tie a rope around you so that they could pull you back in in case you have a heart attack and can't swim back in. Uh, Is that true? uh, I have to look at the pictures of her. I think it's more like... So I I think one of the things that happens, they, they tell you when you do the polar plunges, you're supposed to exhale... Because when you jump in off the back of a boat, the tendency your body clamps up is to inhale. And so I think they actually tie the wa- the rope to you in case you inhale and aspirate water. And then okay. they can pull you back in. Because then you panic and you because <clears throat> then you panic because you go into a kind of a drowning reflex. Wouldn't but. you want to inhale then, like hugely? So no, that when you we, jump in, you blow it all out? Right, because you don't want to suck the water in. Yeah. So, so you, you want jump your- in and you have enough oxygen in your system to last a few seconds to get back to the surface. So you actively exhale to keep from seems backwards. Drowning. That just seems backwards. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't like this conversation. It's making yeah. me ill. <laughs> That's like walking into a Denny's these days. I don't want to go in there. <laughs> I think we should move on to our first uh, 
you know, whatever it is. What right? is the first thing? I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's a new thing, too, right? Oh, that's kind of cool. I don't Stars at Atari was engineering. Oh, you're an inventor. Yes, I am. What have you invented? A lot of things. Like? Like a lot of things. Like things that you've heard of. Like? Well, things that you will have heard of, okay? Patents are patents. Arcade gadgets with So we actually get to do the gadget section like this. Yeah. Is real? Okay. Fine. Cool, man. <laughs> you can do the gadget. It's over. Yeah. I've got a couple of uh, I've got a couple of products today actually. One of them Brian Frober asked about in the chat, so I'm going to have a shout out to myself. We have a new <laughs> oh, good uh, button removal system. So on Japanese buttons, there's little tabs that hold them into control panels, and to pull the buttons out, um, you can put. So somebody had invented a little tube that you put around the button, and it pops it out easier. The problem is you have to take the wires off. And when you're doing these control panels with six buttons per player, it's much easier to pop the buttons out with the wires attached. And so I made this little round tube thing with a slot in it so that you can pop the buttons out, keep the wires attached, and then do quick button swaps. So because it was asked about today, um, Brian Frober asked about it, I figured I'd give myself a shout out. But the main shout outs for today, <laughs> I thought, and I thought these are ones I tried to stick within the theme, but I couldn't find anything that was really related back to the stuff that Doug had worked on. But I thought he might get a kick out of this because we have people who are kind of hacking the original systems or doing things to enhance what's going on. The first one, which I also thought Mark could be interested in, is somebody has come up with an Atari System One multi cart. So you can take a, you can plug a multi, a, this cart into your uh, Atari System One. Mm-hmm. It works on. Um, Really, any system one, but it plays Marble Madness, Indiana Jones, Roadrunner, Peter Packrat, and Road Blasters. And he, he has done it to allow uh, you to play with the Hall Effect switch from a Hall Effect stick from Roadrunner on all the games, um, or you can use the games the original controls. So, um, anyways, it's three hundred ninety dollars. It's on KLOV. That's an unassembled kit. Uh, I think he's going to charge four hundred ninety dollars for an assembled kit. And looked pretty interesting and and. Kind of fun. So, so is, is Peter Packrat a Hall Effect or a regular logo stick? Do you know? I thought Peter Packrat was a regular one. This is one of those ones that we've I've debated with people a few times. I don't know for sure. I've never owned a Peter Packrat. Well, I'll let you know in a week. So, <laughs> um, the other interesting thing uh, over on KLV, uh, second product, well, third product of the day. I can't dismiss myself is AppSwan. So actually, that was by Gadget Freak was the Atari system on multi-cartridge. That's in the new product section. Also on KLV, AppSwan, or AppSwan, has released um, Gottlieb CPU boards. So for games like <laughs> Mad Planets, Cubert's Kroll, Insector, Wizwar, Nightmare, and Three Stooges, Tiles, Cubert Cube, Screwless, Video Vince, and Curveball. I almost said Screwball. Um, you can't... You, you can buy a new CPU with no uh, damage. Now, it's not populated. They're not ready to go. They are blank boards. I believe they're $175 for a board. But if you have one of these, you have acid damage on your board, here's your solution. Mm-hmm. So I And personally, I like to see these being done because I, I think that um, these are some of the things that these games, when they have acid damage on the boards um, or if they have thermal damage from monitors that are frying 
you know, doing these reproductions allows you to kind of uh, resurrect those games. You know, there's a lot of people that get out there and say, <laughs> I had people arguing with some of the ones that we did saying that, um, you know, people just want to put new boards in their machines. So they go and repopulate them. Anybody who's rebuilt a CPU board or rebuilt a monitor board knows it's not something you do just because you're bored on a Saturday and want to have a shiny board in your machine. It takes an incredible amount of effort to pull this off. But if you have, say, a Three Stooges and no CPU, here's your answer. Hmm. Cool. And that's it for my gadget section. All right. This, uh, yeah, that's me. Um, and, and this is the news. So uh, from CNET, Arcade 1-Up, <laughs> Brian's favorite in the whole world. Are we banning Sweet. them this year? <laughs> Are those real? <laughs> yeah, Arcade 1-Up wants, um, wants you to have you relive your, all of your Gen X outrun arcade dreams. So if you're an, under the age of 40, there's only... Why, is it, why did they say that? I have no idea. That doesn't make any sense. If you're under the age of 40, but still the size of an eight-year-old and can sit down in a cockpit that's about <laughs> half the size of a real arcade machine and want to play on an LCD. Well, plus, like, how do you call it a Gen X thing and then, you know, just class you bought from Walmart. <laughs> I mean, you're almost not a Gen Xer if you're 40. So uh, the funniest thing I saw about these is somebody ordered one. We haven't even talked about it yet. It was We're less just... expensive than the shipping. We're just talking about... We're not even. We haven't talked about what it is yet. It, anyway, it's an outrun. One up's coming up with an outrun. So the best part is apparently it doesn't drain your four hundred one k to get one. Uh, it's only five hundred dollars. Which couldn't Whoa. you just buy a real one for five hundred dollars or less? I don't know. It's, well, if you're lucky, it is, it is their cockpit version. So there's a seat. It's kind of yeah. like the. Did you see it's the Star Wars a, cockpit? Yeah. No, it's it's not a it's not a cockpit. That's it's. It's a small bench, yeah. Yeah, you might as well I, just put a bench in front of your machine. So I, I am very mixed on one ups, and I have talked about them a lot on the show. Yeah, for someone who really hates them and doesn't want us to talk about them, you really talk about them quite a lot. I sat down in the Star Wars version of this. Yeah, where it was the sit down version. Yeah, I mean, people joke about the cockpit Star Wars being made for teenagers, so you know it's impossible to get in as an adult. And it is pretty small. Whatever. These make that look large. Doug would fit. Yeah, I'm, he's he looks pretty trim. I don't fit well. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe scrub- back in the eighties. Yes. <laughs> well, George Lucas fit inside it, but he was you know probably twenty eight. George Lucas is a little known fact: only four foot eight. Yeah. What? That's not true. <laughs> you just made that up on the fly. You know that like eighty six percent of all stats are made up on the spot. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, they never show people sitting on these things because it looks ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you sit down on it, like, they literally have all these pictures of them, but they don't show anybody actually playing it because when you play it, like, you look like you look like an adult trying to ride a kiddie ride. Well, now that we've wasted so much time on the news, I think we're going to move on to the next section just for the sake of, you know, getting to an interview what around the that? top of the hour. What about, that? what about that very last little article there? Yeah, the, we should I, talk about the last article. Okay. From IdahoStatesman.com, Grinker's Grand Palace Arcade closes. That's all I got to say about that. Horrendous. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I am 
sporting the red lights tonight. I mean, it could change them to any color, but it was it's it's in honor of Grinkers. The best arcade ever that was. Uh, COVID knocked him out. So uh, owner Steve Barbie said that the permanent shutdown happened after a lease abatement. Taking COVID-19 into account couldn't be reached with the building owner. So Grinkers opened in 2012. Um But this shutdown came quick, according to Steve. He said, we tried to secure extra time so we could find another place to potentially move to, but the landlord was super aggressive. Uh, We did not have time to do anything. Like many businesses, Grinkers has struggled in recent months after the pandemic caused forced closures, capacity restrictions, and other financial duress. It's 100% because of COVID, Barbie said. It's just not sustainable. Um... And I think we we could probably maybe even have him on the show to talk about this in in the near future. Sure. You know, he's been on a few times, but I always love having him on the show. So I'd also like to get the skinny about which games went where. Because there was 306 games games on site. Some some of the games I bought were his overflow games. Yeah, that went went to quarter. I'm insanely jealous of the boot hill that you got. Oh, (laughs) it's so pretty. And you have them already? No, they're being shipped. Beltman is uh, hooking okay. me up. Yeah, they give you a good deal. Uh, yeah, and I got a hundred bucks off because I have another machine that's piggybacking. Arcadiology has a cliffhanger cabinet that's also coming along. It's empty, but well, that's cool. be a, Yeah, excellent. Well, let's move on to the the, the very next segment, which uh, I know we're going to have a few changes the, with this. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what to say, really. But let's uh, let's um, move along here. Here we go. Back in '82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Back back to the to cave, cave with with. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Hey guys, welcome to Back to the Cade. Um, I recently found a Dan Rather fronted news clip from the 80s that discusses the scourge of video games in Boston uh, during the summer of 82. And, uh, you know, Doug, are you are you living in Boston currently? I mean, is that your home? Like what? That's my hometown. That's your hometown. So maybe you'll find this interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It seems Pac-Man and Frogger were terrorizing the city. And children's lives were being totally lost. Uh, this clip's about two minutes and 12 seconds, but, uh, you know, that'll go pretty quick. Let's just listen in and discuss. It was awful. I lived through that period in Boston. Oh, oh boy. God. It was so bad. It was so bad. Uh, I don't know if, if I can. Well, let's try this. If this doesn't work, I have to go back to your link. Steve Young's in dear old Boston. I hear the it. home of the cod and the bean. Now the first American make, uh, American city his own those darned machines the way officials tell it boston has become the victim of an electronic blight with fewer than 600,000 people the city has four to five thousand video games not just in arcades but also in drugstores pizza parlors supermarkets in some sections of the city uh, we have a machine or two machines and sometimes three machines in virtually every single corner store in a neighborhood 
City officials today announced that video games no longer will be licensed in residential areas, only in commercial and industrial neighborhoods. Officials say they are responding to complaints from parents that children have skipped school or stolen money to play the games and made a nuisance of themselves. Senior citizens have rights. They have rights to go into the laundromat and wash the, the laundry in peace. They don't have to go buy two or three machines. Our kids congregating and passing fast remarks as they walk in remarks. and terrorizing them in some instances as Terrorizing they go in. them. Under the yeah. new regulations, licenses for about half the video games already in Boston are unlikely to be renewed. <laughs> you don't even have one. Including those in the basement of the South Boston <laughs> Martial Arts Academy. <laughs> the reason um, we requested to have video games is so we could bring in extra money so we could allow those kids that are out in our neighborhoods that can't afford to come. When they don't have something to do, when they're walking the streets, that's when problems are walking created, not because of machines. The lack of machines causes problems. You're always talking about this demeaning kid, making kids' minds like vegetables. Talk about them on the streets, smoking pot. One MIT study of more than 800 <laughs> video game players found no basis in fact for an underlying fear expressed by parents during public hearings that video games lead to violence. Though a conclusive study has yet to be conducted, Boston went ahead with its restrictive rules. The industry plans to fight City Hall in court. There have been skirmishes before as smaller communities ended, <laughs> but now a full-scale battle has been joined between the video game industry and its opponents. Steve Young, CBS News, Boston. Wow. That, ha- that ran, and Dan Rather introduced that segment. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's national. Yeah, he's like... <laughs> Well, this is this is big news. We need to shut down these arcades. Yes, <laughs> those people washing their clothes just want peace. <laughs> oh boy, is right. Oh boy, is right. Brennan Parker, Brennan Parker, reverse engineer of Crazy Auto and asker of crazy question of Doug. Yes, he probably has another crazy question for you coming up. You know, which register on uh, which line of code? Blah blah blah. <laughs> Always trying to like finagle the code out. Yeah. yeah so. uh, Adam, I have a quick question. Of course, it's the one I ask at this point every time. Okay. Well, it's... What's in the juke? All right. Okay. Uh, Welcome to Season 5 edition of What's in the Juke. Oh, boy. It's the game within a game within a podcast. <laughs> Today, we'll be doing... Wrapped in an enigma. That's correct. By We're going to play random audio clips from the 80s, uh, 80s movies specifically tonight. If you can guess the title of the movie, you will receive a oh. half point. Oh, let's just play a, a clip. Half point. There, there you go. go. There you go. <laughs> Full point. So and 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 we're gonna have you guess the actor's name who plays that character, and then you will see also receive full point. Half no, point. no, a half point. Half point. <laughs> Dang it! You're out of. Wow, okay, okay. If you can guess both title and the actor's name, then you'll receive. Mm-hmm. No, a full point. Damn it. Full point. What kind of game show is this? Like worst four-minute game show ever. If you don't know either, please fight it out amongst yourselves. Oh, that, it, Randy Gelking is just guessing Ghostbusters right off the bat. Shut up, Randy. Stop guessing, everybody. Back to the future. Top Gun. Just... Be disqualified. Eric Estrada, Goonies. I love it. 
all of these movies start with a Z. Somebody that? might get one, actually. This no, is I, hilarious. About the Z. All right, here comes your. Let's go. Here comes your first clip. And I want the rest of you cowboys to know something. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. Right on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not Bo Derek. I'm sorry. That is not correct. Not Cheech and Chong. Not Robocop. That's a a pretty good one. It is a good one. Not Aliens. Not Bachelor Party. Oh my gosh. This is. all Eric I can think of is like red leather, like, you know. <laughs> Eddie Murphy is correct, Mr. Peabody. Yes. And it is Beverly Hills Cop. Mike Page, a half point for both of you guys. No, it's not Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, no, no. it's not. No, Brad uh, Holmes got it. 48 hours. 48 hours. Okay, that's good. Half point. It is not Beverly Hills Cop. Okay, here's your next clip. You ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> <laughs> We need to balance some of these out a little bit. That's pretty quiet. I'll play it again. You ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> oh, I'll give you a hint. It's not Leslie Nielsen. No. <laughs> it is airplane. Mike Page got that. Mike Page with a half point. It, it's uh, half point. The actor. It, it's sort of a disease of the thyroid, if you're familiar with that. <laughs> and who's the actor? We're going to have trouble with these, aren't we? Uh, Disease of the thyroid and a slang term for the... Peter uh, Graves. Oh, there we go. Half point. All right. I didn't have have to say it. (laughs) Thank you very much. Okay, and here comes your next uh, clip. Uh, Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. It's Carrie Fisher. Yeah. that's one of my favorite Carrie Fisher movies. You guys don't have to guess the woman. You can guess the man that's speaking in this clip. <laughs> but I felt like the beginning was important. Are you the police? Not- no, ma'am. We're musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, I, Billy so, Seven, Doug, are you getting any of these? Oh, yeah, I know it. Okay, good. Wait, he, Mr. Peabody gets it. Blues Brothers, and it is not Eddie Murphy. Who said Eddie Murphy? <laughs> Billy I wa- Seven. I wonder if Billy Seven is that far and behind. Metropolis gets another half point. Do you know? I asked the Dana. other day in the operating room how many people had seen this movie, and like nobody had seen it. Really? So there are a lot of young people in the operating room. Yeah. They or they were off playing arcade games in Boston and not <laughs> watching the movies. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that is although most of them have not. It's just a lot of younger techs. Park the car. Let's go play some video games. All right. Yeah, I need to look up some other Boston terms people say. <laughs> wicked. They, they say wicked. wicked. Yeah, it's yes. wicked. This, this is wicked <laughs> arcade. <laughs> okay, that's the best I can do. That was, that was pretty terrible. I have a story about me, Smith College. Minutes. and I have several stories about Boston. I love Boston. I've been there many times. I've only been there once. Okay, here, here's your next clip. Hey, everybody. We're all going to get late. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I'm going to play this one. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. I might just play that on every show. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's really good. Uh, it is uh, not Dan Aykroyd. Billy's, Billy's a little like, behind. He's like one thing behind on. Yeah. He's got to have a delay going. He probably not on live. He's probably using his phone. 
Brad Holman, Rodney Dangerfield. That's right. There you go. All right. And it is uh, back to the school. No, that's not correct. Um, I think I, I think Billy might actually be at the shop. <laughs> half point. All right. Who got a half point? Mark, tell us who, what the scores are right now. Let's move this along. Sure. Uh, well, Brad, Brad Holman and Metropolis are tied with, oh, with Mr. Peabody at one point. Excuse me, so much beer. And then in second, <laughs> in the not-so-distant second place, Mike Page and Brad Frober are tied with a half point. Brian Frober? Uh, oh, Brian Frober. Yeah, we don't have a Brad Frober. We have Brad Holman. typing the word. <laughs> All right. Yes. Next uh, clip. Oh, gnarly! <laughs> oh, gnarly! <laughs> These are good. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I'm actually kind of enjoying it. It's entertaining. Did you see the... Uh, well, we'll talk about it after people get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there was an... Ex- so the other... Uh, I think I'm getting the quote right. I'm not going to give it away before they... Fast Times at Ridgemont High is correct. And Mike who, Page. Who is Sean Penn? Yeah, uh, it is Sean Penn. Metropolis got that. Who's now in the lead? Uh, are we taking either actor or character? Or just only actor. actor. Only actor. Okay, great. Right. All right. Uh, great. Uh, oh, there, oh, there was some points there. I should probably play like a, a you know. Half point. And th- there's a big fight going on. <laughs> That's good. All right, here comes your next clip. I asked for a car. I got a computer. How's that for being born under a bad sign? <laughs> I asked for a car. I got a computer. How's that for being born under a bad sign? Man, if you don't know who that is. That's a good low-key moment because he, like, goes in and he hacks his, like, grades and stuff. Yeah, like, in War Games, I love that movie so much. It's not War Games. <laughs> I know, but he, he hacks a computer in both movies. Yep, he does. I asked for a car. I got a computer. <laughs> I asked for a... I asked for a... Okay, <laughs> Mike Page. I asked for a car. I got a computer. How's that for being born it in a It is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it is... Who? Did somebody finally get his name? Holman did. Brad okay. Holman. Brad Holman, yeah. Brad Holman. All right, good, uh, good job, guys. Uh, I'm going to give you both... Point. For that. All right, here comes your next clip. Snap out of it. Boy, oh, nice. There's a little bit of a Boston accent in that one. Snap out of it. Or maybe Jersey. Why yeah, don't you have a Jersey accent either? Are you from Hoboken? Where are you from? Short Hills. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that is the Garden State. You're probably in the garden part of the state. A nice part. We, we, we had a beautiful garden. Yeah. Yeah, when I drove over the Ben Franklin Bridge, there's a beautiful garden, like, for, like, a quarter of a mile. And then right after that is, like, 400 gas stations that will <laughs> gladly, gladly fill up the tank. Uh, funny, our our, our corporate office Jersey used is, to be in Jersey City. So yeah. The funny thing about Jersey is there's a toll from every direction to go into Jersey, it but it's free to get out. That's right. <laughs> or sorry, it was the other way. Yeah, it was. No, no, sorry, it was the pay, other way. You have to pay, you have to, to, pay get to get out. But it's yes. free to get in. That's, That's right. funny. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. Yeah, I, I, man, I've accidentally entered that bridge like at least 10 times when I was living there. It's terrible. We have Moonstruck and Cher. Who got those? Half point. I would say Cher and Metropolis got that first. 
who puts him in the lead, and then Moonstruck is also Natropolis. Holy crap! All right. Oh, he gets a. We get to play the full point clip. Full oh, point. All right. Let's oh, move to the next one. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> oh, I know this one. It's yeah, uh, Star Wars, and that's um, yeah. Luke Skywalker. What? Chewbacca. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, did you? See, all right. Did you see a Clay post posted that his wife said uh, somebody showed up at work on Halloween as Kumbacha? You know the guy from Star Wars Kumbacha. <laughs> Kumbucha. 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 He's like, uh, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you mean Chewbacca? <laughs> <laughs> so it showed up as kombucha, <laughs> a fermented drink. Mike Page got Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is correct. All and right. Metropolis got Harrison Ford. Half point. Yep. All right, those guys are well, neck and neck. All right, here comes your next clip. That are alive. You are coming with me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, there's a really good extended fake version of this that they have on. Uh, I don't know if it's on YouTube, but yeah. I'll have to send you the link where they recreate the scene, and there's just a lot of shooting in the um, in the lower region of the of the person. And they're shooting a lot. Like that are alive. You are coming with me, RoboCop. Who is that? Buckaroo Banzai. Mike, Mike, Mike Page got that. Uh, it is Peter Weller, Metropolis. Boy, those guys are just like bouncing them back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. So that uh, that was a half point for both half those point. guys. And How here comes your left? next clip. Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> you picked some really good ones here. Are they specific years or? Uh, I think they're like eighty-five to eighty-six to eighty-two somewhere. Okay. In there. So there's no specific year. No, but I have a ton more. So yeah. Just say hello to my little friend. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be a quake. Uh, or like you know, uh, you know, one of the third first-person shooter game clips. Say hello I need to that, my little I friend. I need that as a ringtone. <laughs> Just yelling it over and over again. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Scarface. That's funny. All right, who got this one? And Mr. Peabody got Al Pacino. Nice. Half point. All right, and the next clip is. I can't believe I gave my panties to a geek. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great clip. <laughs> See, these are these are a little bit, you know, not the more standard ones right here. Yeah, like I can't believe my parents blanking forgot my birthday. You could have put that one in there. I can't believe I gave my panties to a geek. (laughs) It's not Elf. Who said Elf? (laughs) That's funny. It's not weird science. I'm going to give this one to Mike Page. Sixteen candles. Sixteen candles, and who is the actress? If you can, Doug. Who is it? All right, Molly Ringwald. He got it. Molly Ringwald. We'll give it to Brad Holman because he said it at the same time you did. All right. Um, and then this is the last one. Uh, we have a lot of these in here. Uh, we're twelve. We did twelve. We we should have been done. <laughs> I feel the need. The need for speed. All right, Doug. Who is it? Go. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I feel the need. The need Top for speed. Top Gun is uh, correct. You go, yes. And who are the actors? Or the, the, the or at yeah. least one of the actors. Yeah. 
Just Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is correct. Well, all right, we have to give uh, Doug a point for that. Full point. All right, so okay, we are um, wrapping this up. Let's let's see who won. Results: Mike Page and Atropolis tied for first place. Behind them, Brad Holman with two points, and in third, Mister Peabody with an honorable one and a half point. I, I gotta let Atropolis eke this out for saying after the panties comment. My wife said that just this morning. Oh no, Atropolis! <laughs> oh my gosh, this is terrible. Good thing this show is rated not for children. Okay, right. so uh, normally we have something to give away on these, you know epic shows like the you know season finale season premiere we did we didn't set up a contest but we we could give something away well we could give a how about a hearty a hearty hi ho and a pat on the back that's my favorite <laughs> adam will do the outgoing well, message on your home answering machine i was just thinking you know doug might have a coin or something we could give away i have some miss pac-man coins well let's give oh, one yeah. away Okay. All right, Mark. Can you can you make that happen? Sure. Um, should we? Uh, yeah, I'll just uh, put Miss Pac-Man coin. Yep, Miss Pac-Man coin. And then, uh, Doug, we need a secret word for people to register so they can win at the end of the show. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we basically what we do is we set up a form and uh, people have to type in a secret word. So well, they just to have to register so we can we can put their names into a hat. We're going to draw right. a draw a name if, at the end of the show. If it's a secret word, do I tell everybody? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's only oh, okay. Because only people that are listening to the show can win. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> because we have so many people hitting the website, we don't want people like just filling, you know, spamming random people from Russia. Yeah, they don't need it. Yeah, we don't want that Got happening. It. So I will put in the secret word is the name of my sister, Sue. Sue. Who is also the name of the fourth monster in Ms. Pac-Man that I named after my sister. And that nice. Is, that is awesome. <laughs> because she was a monster. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I never said that. How did she feel? Be part of that story. <laughs> that must be awesome because the TV show used Sue, right? So yep. the cartoon. Nice. Yo, Eddie. Welcome to the show. We got some new people out there. Who's um, who's HSC ITKO? What does that even spell? I don't know. It's good to, I don't know. Any it's probably the Gleek. He's always changing his name. Yes. It's, it's less racist today. That's <laughs> it's <nice>. less racist. <laughs> I did. I did peer pressure him into changing his name, and that. That's I, smart. I just <laughs> thought it's you know, we're past that. Okay. All right. So while you get that set up, uh, and the and the everybody remember the name is Sue, and the form will be ready shortly, less than two, three minutes. Okay. And uh, in the meantime, uh, I think we got to move along because this is. I mean, we're we're ready. We've been ready for a long time. Wait, were you going to say something, Mark? Oh, I mean, was there any voicemail? Is my question. I don't know. I haven't checked the voicemail in a long time. Nobody leaves us voicemails. Yeah. I think there's no voicemail. Is there a voicemail? There is. <laughs> God damn. There's a voicemail in the voicemail tab. What? Tab. That's why we have that tab. It's like and, the and I tab. You can't I, just ignore it. I think this voicemail actually addresses Doug. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't understand. All right. <laughs> Um, we have a voicemail, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> we're so professional. We, you know, we we have all these cues, and then we just backed out of this one. Thank you for calling six one two five four eight game. This is Arcade Radio. Please leave your message after the tone. Everybody, Bob Zarzadek, control panel expert and technician. Happy November fifth, y'all. Remember, remember the fifth of November of gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. <laughs> I love that. Man, I always wanted to say that. You remember that? You remember that movie? V for Vendetta? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, you remember that part where Natalie Portman, when she wore that pink dress and her had her, had her hair in curls? Man, I like that a lot in a very legal and not a sick and twisted way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, excellent cinema, as they say. So anyway, hey, what's going on? Uh, can't wait for this interview here with Doug McCray, maker of one of my favorite games with a girl who also wears pink. Uh, you guys have a great kickoff to season five, and don't forget your buddy Bob, okay? I'm totally out of prison, and I am no longer being chased by farmers, police chiefs, or ex-girlfriends. I almost and, uh, You know, that's a long story. Uh, let's save that for our next uh, episode, all right? Okay. <laughs> Talk to you guys later. Stars the deck out. Wow. I almost forgot him. <laughs> wow. Poor Bob. Well, that's our only caller. <laughs> Unless I actually go check the voicemail. But I don't want to check it now. All right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Let's start this over. Welcome to the show. Mr. Doug McRae. That's sort of, you get welcomed like eight or nine times to the show. I've been welcomed already today, but uh, I'll be welcome again. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's good to have you here. We are uh, super excited and we have lots of really fun questions. Uh, but why don't you just start by, you know, telling us a little bit about, I mean, you gave us sort of the, the, the start of your company. Um, but give us a little bit about Doug McRae and how he ended up, you know, going to MIT and uh, starting a yeah, company. What were, you, what were the rejected schools? Or what are the schools that you were like, I am not going there? Uh, well, uh, as, I, as I was saying, I grew up in Jersey and yes. uh, was trying to figure out what school to go to. Um, I had it all boiled down uh, to two choices uh, between MIT and Dartmouth. Um, and our family was doing a family trip over Christmas vacation, and you had to have submitted your early application to one of the two schools uh, by the start of Christmas vacation back then. And so I remember the night before they were due, and the night we were, uh, the next day we were hopping on a plane on our family vacation, I'm staring at the two applications, MIT or Dartmouth, trying to decide between the two. And I start looking at them carefully, and Dartmouth had this really difficult essay question asking <laughs> what book had the most meaning in your life or something like that. And I'm trying to even remember a book I read. And then I look at MIT's application. It was mainly true false. And so uh, I applied to MIT, got in, and went. Uh, so nice. it was the only school I ever applied to. That's cool. Nice. Uh, you chose right. Yeah, I, yes. I was, a, I was a Cornell grad. Dartmouth's not worth going to. Boolean logic every time. Well, I guess that leads into the next question. So you're at MIT, you get a pioneer machine, you become an operator, basically. So what did what did that look like? 
So it started off as fun. We put it in um, a part of our dorm and um, um, started operating the game there, um, pulling quarters and helping throw uh, parties with the quarters that uh, came out of it. Um, and then uh, I think uh, Steve Golson talked about it on the last uh, uh, couple of years ago. Um, the operator that was operating the pinball machines in the uh, main part of our dorm, uh, and our dorm was about 300 people, uh, pulled uh, the machine out uh, because they were not being well maintained and people treat machines badly that are not maintained yeah. because they want to get the ball unstuck or they get frustrated and whatever. Right. So that ended badly. And I was vice president of our dorm at the time and uh, said, okay, why don't we do this all differently? Uh, I'll bring in uh, my Pioneer, uh, place it down in the uh, main hall there. I'll get a second machine um, and I'll split uh, the revenue 50-50 with the dorm uh, to help throw parties. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so it was a great win-win uh, uh, for everybody. Um as I got the second machine, I decided to take on a partner, Kevin Curran, um, and from there we bought a third machine. Um, these are all I pinball think, at this point. These are all pinball. Uh, first was Pioneer, and then Paragon. Okay. Um, and then we went with our first uh, more digital electronic one, which Solid was Playboy. State. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, we started expanding into video games as they were just uh, becoming popular. Uh, I think our first was Fire One, which was a fun uh, sub game. Is that um, black and white? Excuse me. Is that black and white or is that color? I think it was black and white, uh, but had a uh, overlay uh, overlay on it uh, to give it color. Uh, but it was a two-player game where they split the monitor, uh, and one person plays one side, one plays the other. Cool. Um, and tries sticking the other person's subs. I've, I've not seen one since we've owned it. I, uh, I don't know how rare it is. Um, well, Atari but. had a game, Atari Subs, that had two separate monitors, and you had to seek out the subs. Is that the same game? What? Uh, I don't know. That's I don't think cool. it was made by Atari. Interesting. Um, but then we've got a ripoff and a Star Castle. Um, awesome. Then cool. a Battle Zone, and the Battle Zone was uh, uh, really well-liked. Um, and then uh, the biggest game ever was Missile Command. Uh, I think it sat very well uh, with the MIT engineers of uh, <laughs> trying to uh, take out intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, and uh, all that, uh, which is what they were also studying is how to build intercontinental ballistic missiles. So uh, <laughs> it, it all rolled in very well. Uh, so we bought uh, our first Missile Command. Uh, in the first week of operation, uh, it pulled in $625. Wow. Um, we, we, we did the math on it, and if every game lasted three minutes, I think it worked out to be uh, played 21 hours per day, uh, wow. seven days a week. <laughs> um, and so we bought two more and put uh, them in other dorms as we expanded out. Uh, we had uh, 20... 25 games uh, by the time we fully expanded to three or four different dorms at MIT. Um, and the three missile commands uh, were the hottest machines we had ever seen. Uh, but week two uh, was about two thirds of that. It fell from 625 to 400 and then uh, fell from 400 to 300 down to 200. 
Um, and we started scratching our head and saying, we've got a problem here. You know, we paid $2,500 for this cabinet. Uh, we, we've paid it back, but it's way, way trailed off. Uh, yeah. What can we do about it? And this is where we got in the idea of it needed enhancing. Um, <laughs> and that's how we started our uh, uh, business other than just running an arcade room. I would like to say, uh, if you haven't seen the High Score documentary, you should check it out. Doug is uh, in it, along with Steve Golson and um, Horowitz, right? Mike Horowitz. Mike Horowitz. And uh, they're all from GCC. The interesting thing about that um, documentary is they, they skate over certain details uh, in the name of condensing the story, um, which is fine. Uh, but they also didn't even say General Computer Corporation once. GCC is not even mentioned, which they, they just say you started a company, which is funny to me because that's, you know, isn't it important to, to maybe say the name of the company? I don't know. Um, well, we intentionally chose a name that was so generic that maybe um, Netflix did not view it as all interesting whatsoever. <laughs> um, they also didn't we, mention Taito. They did or did not? They did not. They talked about Space Invaders and the inventor, and they never said the name Tato once. I, I wonder if they were, for some reason, not trying to promote corporations and, yeah. and uh, had a particular desire not to have them it's in there. It's just interesting. And maybe I'm wrong, uh, uh, but I just like – it's like, uh, well, they talk about Atari quite a bit, which, you know, uh, like I have I have the uh, – on over my left shoulder, Super Missile Command running right here. Just in your honor. Why, uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I had a really quick question for you. Uh-huh. A little off topic of arcades, but you mentioned the quarters were collected for parties. I had a friend who attended MIT in the late 90s, and MIT is kind of known as a very cerebral school, but what I didn't realize until he went there is that school really knew how to throw parties. So was that the case back when you went? Uh, it was. Um <laughs> that uh, we, we worked hard on it. Uh, we got written up um, in 1979, I think, or 78 in Playboy magazine because our dorms would be sending out cars. Uh, our, ours was an all-male dorm. We'd send out cars to go pick up uh, women at some of the uh, other <laughs> female colleges in Boston <laughs> and import them in. That's uh, funny. So we could have oh. parties. That kind of, you know, it reminds me of the movie Real Genius. Uh, the the bunch of nerds making the, you know, having a huge party and bringing in the girls. Uh, that's, yep. pretty, that's pretty and, funny. And then they build, build creative things. Uh, our dorm did not have one, but another dorm did. Uh, they had a vending machine that uh, dispensed nitrous oxide. You put a quarter in and take a hit of nitrous. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> That is uh, funny. Is not I will say the idea of quarters paying for cars to go pick up women. <laughs> genius. <laughs> well, I'm not sure the quarters directly went into the cars <laughs> that were picking up the women. But, yeah, I guess you can tell the story that way. <laughs> so your first kit was a super missile attack, and um, it was very successful. Yeah, so um, the spring break of our senior year, um, as it was approaching, we were looking and uh, seeing the – decline of these missile command games and we had looked around and said had anybody even made one of these speed up kits and speed up kits uh, at the time were often just changing uh, the crystal so that the processor would run a little bit faster and make the game more difficult Um, 
And sometimes they worked and sometimes they didn't. The game would sometimes malfunction when you sped it up too much. And players did not like the fact that they just got harder by making it faster. Yeah. Um, and so we looked to do better. Um, and uh, so we came up with a plan that we would take a missile command, uh, it was a 6502 processor, and dump out the code um, and modify it and create a uh, ver- version two of the game. And uh, we attacked this um, as, as a group of MIT students would, I guess. We um, uh, disassembled all the code, reverse engineered it, and pretty much had a full manual of how uh, Missile Command worked. And then we started looking at it and going, all right, so how about we try adding an object? So we added the UFO to it. How about if we, and, and so we started making changes to it and uh, ended up uh, not just making it more difficult so that the person that was playing it now for 40 minutes uh, would now be back to five minutes mm-hmm. or 10 minutes. Uh, but it was more interesting also uh, as we introduced uh, some new features to it, uh, still keeping with the original game. So the person that enjoyed it uh, would uh, continue to enjoy it and keep playing it. And so we looked at it and said, uh, we're going to do this, but uh, we're going to do it very, very carefully. Uh, we understood uh, what other enhancement kits were doing at the time, uh, the speed up kits, uh, if they were not changing out the clock, uh, they were uh, changing out the ROMs. They were taking ROMs, dumping out the code, finding out some of the settings in them, and reburning ROMs. And so they're sending out uh, the original code and their own changes on ROMs, and we view that as a big copyright issue. Um, and uh, I was uh, in an intellectual property class at MIT then, and looking for ways around that and it came came up with the fact that we would require the original roms to be part of the missile command or super missile attack and that we would only add software to it but we would never copy the original software and so the way we sold our enhancement kit was you got a board uh you take the roms out of the original missile command and put them onto our board and then attach our board in. And the way it would work is our code would get added on top of the original Atari code, but we never copied it. And so that was our way around the biggest issue of copyright infringement. We were not copying Atari's code as other enhancement kits were doing. And we felt we were totally clean on it then uh, in terms of not violating any of the intellectual property issues with Atari. So just how successful was the kit? So we, we started selling the kit in the back of the two trade journals at the time, um, Replay Magazine and Game, uh, uh, drawing a blank on the other. Um, we took out full page color ads. Uh, we put on a... Uh, nuclear explosion uh, in the ad, uh, and uh, I think the title was Explosive Profits, uh, because we were pitching directly to the game owners uh, that wanted to get more quarters. Uh, We had an 800 number that rang in our house, uh, 24 hours a day, someone would answer it, uh, and we sold them for $295 a piece. Wow. um, Which, to an operator, uh, they would earn it back very, very quickly. Uh, to us, it was costing us about $30 to make these boards um, <laughs> and mail them out to people. 
and we sold uh, a little over a thousand of them uh, in the spring of our senior year of school. Uh, so our junior achievement project, or whatever you want to call it, uh, netted about a quarter million dollars of profit. Um, and so uh, that was what we did for our spring break. <laughs> Uh, $250,000. Yeesh, that's a lot of money in the, in 1980, what, two or 81? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. $250,000 adjusted for inflation. Are you going to do that? <laughs> is $674,000 today. That's a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> That's almost a million dollars today. Well, it's three quarters of the way there, almost. Almost. That's a lot of money. That's like a house and a half where I live. (laughs) Oh, in Boston, one-tenth of a house, but okay. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, uh, it's crazy. So uh, how did Atari find out about you? So uh, first we saw is that... uh, we saw a order come in, um, and we actually had these little invoice pads and taking uh, the orders. And when an order came in, uh, we actually recognized the name uh, Skip Paul or Charles Skip Paul. Um, and I don't know how we knew it, but he was general counsel of Atari, and he wanted to order one so he could check it out. Um, we delayed sending it to him for a while, but we eventually did uh, because we – we're very proud about how we engineered around intellectual property issues and said, here, go take a look at this. You probably just assumed we stole your code. Um, and so it went off. Uh, but then um, uh, a week or two later, uh, we started hearing through uh, the Boston uh, uh, arcade distributor, Valley um, Northeast, uh, that Atari was looking to potentially sue us. Uh, over what we had done. And uh, so uh, it turned out that we had, uh, during that time, uh, um, run into a person who knew probably the best intellectual property attorney in the United States, a guy named Jerry Hosier, uh, who lived in Chicago. Uh, Kevin and I flew out to O'Hare and explained to him what we had done um, he agreed to meet with us uh, in uh, one of the lounges at O'Hare Airport. Uh, we explained what we had done, that Atari was looking to potentially sue us, and he got very excited about it. He viewed it was a <laughs> new area of intellectual property law that had never been tested and said, uh, yeah, I'd be uh, very interested in taking this up uh, and uh, uh, working on this with you guys. Um, but he goes, first of all, you guys don't want Atari to sue you. Uh, don't let them. And we go, what do you mean, don't let them? Well, you have to sue them first. Oh. And we go, we sue Atari first? He goes, yeah, because <laughs> then you'll get Boston as your venue rather than California. Uh, you control uh, the case as opposed to them taking control. Oh. So what we believe happened was roughly 12 hours before they sued us, we sued them. Um, General Computer sued Atari uh, for uh, uh, declaratory judgment. Uh, Basically, we stated that there was this cloud hanging over our head that was uh, 
hurting our business because Atari was putting out rumors that were getting around that we might be sued by them. So we wanted a court to determine whether what we had done was proper or not. So we sued in wow. uh, uh, federal court in Boston, uh, got our venue, and Atari immediately sued back. Uh, but uh, the venue was chosen for Boston, which probably saved us uh, from uh, trying to um, work uh, on stuff we were doing at the company and trying to do a case out in California. Um, so we were assigned uh, Judge Keating. I believe he was one of the original uh, judges in the whole Boston busing crisis. Uh, he had no idea uh, what a video game was. Uh, <laughs> and we proceeded to roll some arcade games into his courtroom uh, and start demonstrating to him. And most went over his head, uh, but as many judges uh, will do, they'll try seeing if uh, the parties can reach uh, some kind of uh, agreement uh, so that they don't have to solve a complex issue. Mm -hmm. And so the way he handled it was he delayed and delayed. Uh, but during that delay, he put a, a temporary restraining order on us so that we would not do further damage to Atari until this was resolved and that was a major hit to us because we're going that's not fair you know atari's a big company yeah. they've got the deep pockets yeah um and jerry hosier our lawyer once again in a very strategic move said to the judge you understand that you know this is a small company and uh they uh, are going to be hurt by this temporary restraining order so since you're putting it out there so easily can we request that as soon as we have a version of the game that addresses every single issue that Atari brought up, can we have an immediate date in court uh, to show it to you and then have you rule on that version? He goes, of course, that sounds fair. And this is a Friday <laughs> afternoon. Jerry Hoser said, uh, we request a court hearing uh, Monday morning at 9 a.m. Wow. And there goes your weekend. There goes our weekend. <laughs> exactly. And in the normal MIT style, uh, we all pulled double all-nighters, uh, worked on it. And the Monday in court, we rolled the next machine in. And it looked nothing like the super missile command, uh, or super missile attack, Adam, that is in your background. Okay. Um, we did new stickers for the side. We changed hmm. the font. Atari claimed that that font was theirs. Uh, they uh, claimed all the colors was there, so we changed every color in the game. Uh, we changed everything. Not that we thought it made a better game, but uh, this was a way to have the judge really question what is protectable and what was not. Uh, you know, Atari claimed that the font was recognizable, that, uh, you know, the uh, colors, the color scheme and everything. So we, we, we changed it even more because what Atari was claiming was, Does it look anything like that? It it did not look much like the game in your background. Um, <clears throat> so I I put a, a thing up on the <clears throat> on the screen. It's a it's a promo we did for the show, and it has the new sticker on the side. I think might be what you're talking about. Oh yes, that that is that is the one um, that we produced for round two of court. And the, and the colors I I totally made up, but I just I thought. Oh you know, okay. 
I, this is, you know, I thought it was really cool. And you're standing in front of it, which is even cooler because, like, I, there's only like two pictures of you of this age. <laughs> well, I was probably getting ready to testify. Jerry Hosier was uh, coaching me at the time. Yeah, uh-huh. that is it. And uh, I remember um, uh, him uh, talking uh, and getting me all ready for this. Um, but the, the, the real uh, question that was coming out was. Yes, we did not violate the copyright by copying Atari's code, but uh, there there was another issue on intellectual property law that was brand new at this point. How do you protect an audiovisual presentation? Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, people would uh, protect computer software by saying we're, we're copywriting the source code. Um, Atari, in fact, on many of their games had a C circle and then a P circle. Uh, the C circle was for copyright. Oh yeah, yeah. And the P and the P with a circle around it was for phonographic copyright. They said we're, we're copywriting the audiovisual presentation through a phonographic copyright. They made it up. <laughs> it, it, phonographic no, copyright did thing. not exist. Oh, uh, that's but good. There was no way to protect at the time, but they viewed it was protectable. That so there's a phonographic copyright. And then other manufacturers started putting that on theirs also, not knowing what it was. But if Atari did it, it must be the right thing to do. Um, so in court, they're trying to decide how is it protectable. Uh, we did not copyright, did not copy the software. But Atari was claiming that there was a trademark dilution. We were hurting their trademark of Missile Command and that there was a misrepresentation of origin. And... The, the uh, intellectual property law at the time behind misrepresentation of origin was the one we were stumbling upon, that it would be argued that if a kid came into the arcade and dropped a quarter in, did he know whether it was Atari's product or not Atari's oh, product? Interesting. And that was a very, very tough thing to try ruling on uh, because – they probably said, oh, yeah, well, it, it's Atari's next version or whatever. And it was really, really tough to remove that, even when we changed all the font colors and whatever. Sure. Uh, so in any case, we go in for the second day. Atari looked at it. The judge once again said, let me take this under advisement. Um, and Atari looked at it and said, OK, what you have now done has put this in serious jeopardy of us losing. Um, that um, <laughs> the, the judge ju- the judge is going to have a real problem ruling against General Computer because the game is looking quite different, and you've pulled him further out on the limb. Uh, so Atari viewed that they were in trouble, wanted to figure out how to stop this whole thing, and so they contacted us and said, hey, wh- wh- what do you want out of this? And we said, we just want to develop games. And they said, okay. Here, we'll give you a game development contract. And how much do you need to develop games? You quickly do a back of the envelope and go, $50,000 a month. And they go, okay, we'll do a two-year development contract, $50,000 a month. Oh, my God. To develop games. And we go, okay, and what do we have to do? Develop games. And, you know, how do we get measured? Oh, if you develop a good one, that'll be great. And later on, we, 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 you know, we were somewhat naive. Our, our lawyer quickly pointed out that they have no reason to, they do not want you to develop games. 
they think that you're going to take the money, go back to MIT and graduate, get your diploma, or go sit on the beach with that money. And they don't care. There's no requirements on it. They are paying you in basically $1.2 million to go away yeah. to, to end their problem. Um, so uh, we said, okay, we'll sign that development agreement, um, but you have to agree to drop the case with prejudice because we don't want our image of General Computer Corporation tarnished. And dropping a case with prejudice uh, says that they should never have brought the case against us to begin <laughs> with. <laughs> that's, un- that's interesting. That but in interesting. exchange for that, they put in the agreement that we shall never make a enhancement kit again except for if we can get permission from the original manufacturer from that, knowing the original manufacturer will never give us permission. See, gang, this is like the commentary section on the DVD. You watched the high score documentary, but now you're getting the behind the scenes story. In the deets. <laughs> I mean, this is really cool. So, and obviously, uh, Mark, this and Brian, this has to lead into the, the Miss Pac-Man. So, wait, do, quick question though: Is that any? I mean, did they hey, ask hey. you for any manufacturer? Yes, that's interesting. Uh, it is interesting. They kind of like blanketed out. They said we're going to cover every. We, so they were essentially buying you off and establishing precedent. Correct. Yeah. That's. that's and, you know, and the exact wording got put in there by Jerry Hosier because he knew what we were up to. Uh, so it said explicitly the fact that we would not bring to market an enhancement kit without the uh, permission from, an orig- uh, from the original manufacturer of the underlying game. So you, you actually ended up doing that. And, and were you developing we uh, Crazy Auto at the same time you were being sued? Yes. Okay. So while we were fighting in court, this went on for about two and a half months, um, we had started our second enhancement kit. And um, I can go back into the development of that. But during this whole time, uh, we had developed Ms. Pac-Man, then named Crazy Auto, as an enhancement kit. And we had made a quarter million dollars off of that, uh, off of the super missile attack. And Pac-Man was a much, much bigger game than Missile Command was. Mm. And we were looking and saying, this enhancement kit could sell a million dollars worth or more. Uh, we, we were very excited by what the enhancement kit could do. And, you know, maybe we we're being piggy. We just were signing a $1.2 million contract with Atari. Uh, but we were also going, we're, we're three quarters of the way done now with the development of the enhancement kit for Pac-Man. Let's at least see if we can carve that out from the Atari agreement by getting permission and then see if we can get permission from Bally Midway to uh, sell the enhancement kit. Yeah. And and, and, you, and so you ended up approaching Bally Midway, telling them that you won a lawsuit against Atari. And, Correct. Uh, <laughs> so we, we flew out and bluffed our way. Um hmm. And, you know, here, here we thought we were being very, very clever 22-year-olds or 21-year-olds bluffing our way uh, in this major corporation, Valley Midway. Uh, we show up and say, we just beat Atari in court. Um, they, they, had, they had read the final court documents and saw that Atari dropped it with prejudice, as we had uh, required. And we said, 
here is our enhancement kit to Pac-Man. It's called Crazy Auto. And that we would like to start selling it. And we could sue you immediately for declaratory judgment like we did with Atari. <laughs> uh, but that would be a waste of everybody's time. How about we just get permission from guys to knowing that we had to get permission? Now, this is where I said we're young kids bluffing our way through. The other side of it probably was paying no attention to our bluff. Uh, they had just run the largest production ever in North America of uh, arcade game in Pac-Man and had just shut down the production line. Oh. Um, they, they had produced 110,000 Pac-Mans or whatever the number was in North America and had just shut down the production line and were getting ready to pink slip uh, many of the employees because they did not have a follow-on game much less a sequel to Pac-Man. Sure. Um, and we walk in and say, hey, here's version two of Pac-Man. We didn't <laughs> say it that way, but that's what they're thinking. Um, so while we are bluffing our way through with Bally Midway, I think they're looking going, wow, I think you just saved our butts uh, that we could turn this into the sequel for Pac-Man and keep this going, uh, this franchise going, uh, which was about to come to an end. Somehow Pac-Man had done extremely well, and yet no one had stepped up and created a sequel to it. And they were eventually, waiting for Namco to produce one. Eventually they all did. Uh, Namco did one, Bally did one, Midway did one, and we did one, all following Ms. Pac-Man. But when Ms. Pac-Man was coming out, there was no sequels in the pipeline. And, you know, kind of a shame... Uh, of Pac-Man being such a hit and nothing to follow it up. Yeah. So we were right place, right time, and uh, started uh, working with Valley Midway to bring um, what was Crazy Auto, the name of the enhancement kit, into uh, production as what turned out eventually to be Ms. Ms. Pac-Man, though it had uh, quite a few name changes in the meantime. Um, so who is listening to Auto. who is listening to Crazy Otto, the the German pianist that wanted? I mean, is that how it ended up getting the name? Or um, I don't remember how it got its name. Um, we got him. We got Frank, him so choked Frank. up. He's so choked up talking about this. <clears throat> I, I don't remember where Crazy Otto got its name. Uh, did Did Steve remember that or? You know, I don't remember. I just I know that there's a German pianist Fritz Schultz Reichel or something that uh, that's named Crazy Otto. I I bought I actually bought a record so I could hang it next to my Miss Pac-Man machine uh, that says Crazy Otto on it. But that's neither here nor there. So you you no, uh, I, I don't think I'm cultural enough to have named it after him. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So uh, so you have these enhancement kits. You work with Bally Midway. That story's all told on High Score. Steve talked about that a little bit. One thing I wanted to touch on, um, because we did invite the 6502 group from Facebook to come and watch tonight, as well as Tari Age. Um, you did have some. Um, you you did have some involvement with the Atari 7800. Could you talk a little bit about your involvement with the hardware? Sure. Um... So I, I left off the story where we picked up this development contract with Atari 
And I think we misunderstood it that uh, we thought we were supposed to develop games and Atari thought we were supposed to go sit on the beach. <laughs> uh, but we immediately started hiring engineers. And uh, we were in Cambridge uh, right next to MIT. Um, and in the year 1982, I think, we became the largest recruiter out of MIT, uh, passing IBM and Hewlett Packard uh, and Microsoft, I guess, at the time, the three big ones. Uh, because we said, hey, you know, you you can come and work on video games, you get paid really well, and you don't even have to move out of your fraternity. You can just walk to it. We're right around the corner. And so we hired lots of engineers because we had this development contract, uh, and we thought that's what we were supposed to be doing. And we had a ball doing it uh, as we started designing uh, the video games. So fast forward, uh, we designed... Um, uh, I think four uh, arcade games uh, that went to market with Atari. Uh, we also did Junior Pac-Man, uh, which went uh, the way of uh, Bally Midway, and then several arcade games that did not make it to market. Uh, but we found um, our real soft spot uh, in what we could do was to start doing uh, the 2600 cartridges uh, and the consumer market. So we quickly dove in and started uh, building or designing 2,600 cartridges for Atari um, and then uh, wanted to work on the next generation platform. The 5,200 had been rolled out without a lot of success. Uh, it was kind of a conversion of the 400, 800 into a game system. And we wanted to uh, uh, do the next generation. So uh, we had quite a few hardware engineers at our company. Uh, we started designing our own custom VLSI chip um, at the center of it called Maria. Um, and I believe 18 different titles to come out with the game uh, system uh, when it shipped. Uh, we also had a high score cart. We had uh, a keyboard uh, and other things we were playing with as we did it. A uh, whole uh, science lab for kids and uh, other stuff. Uh, but it was a massive project where we probably had uh, 50 or 60 engineers on it. Um, my, my role on the 7800 uh, was twofold. One is uh, I got involved in writing the cartridge uh, that was planned to ship with it, showing off its graphics, which was a 3D Asteroids, uh, where we uh, had uh, the actual asteroids rotating uh, in space so it looked 3D-ish. Uh, it was nicknamed uh, uh, in our lab Meatballs in Space because that's more what it looked like. But um, So I, I worked on Asteroids with Mike Korowitz, who I did Ms. Pac-Man with, and Josh Littlefield. Um, and we were doing it alongside of the hardware getting designed. So this was kind of the test cartridge. Did the hardware do what we needed to do? Did the software? And we were kind of writing the manual for uh, everybody else. Uh, but I also got involved in the boot code uh, for uh, the 7800. Uh, we had this um, difficult issue that we couldn't resolve. Uh, the 7800 had backwards compatibility to the 2600, which was very key in marketing. And we, we were very insistent that it could play all 2600 cartridges. And at one point, we were going to drop uh, the TIA, the uh, uh, chip that was inside of the 2600, onto our chip. That did not uh, work out well. So we just 
put a TIA chip on the board next to our chip, our graphics processor, which ran the 7800, called the Maria, uh, the Tia Maria combination, yeah. uh, which ah. is our really stupid pun. Um, but the the problem we had is that Maria booted up and uh, had a clock that ran three times faster. And uh, if the TIA booted up uh, in a different clock cycle, uh, which happens two-thirds of the time, uh, things would not work properly. And we were trying to figure out in hardware how to uh, solve all that, uh, how to uh, have the clock synchronized and all that. And I'm not a hardware person. And instead I said, oh, well, when I write code and it comes up the wrong way, I can notice that the 2600 part of it, the TIA, uh, if I draw two missiles, they sometimes will collide and hit the uh, collision detector if they're in the wrong cycle. And they go, well, that's neat, but what do you do about it? I go, geez, you can't change the clock. And I go, yeah, I can just reboot once that happens. And hopefully one, the next time or the time after that, it will come up on the right phase and everything works. So as part of the, 20, uh, part of the 7800, uh, there's code right at the very beginning, which tries drawing stuff with TIA, <laughs> looking to see if there's a problem and if there's a problem, just reboots and does it again. And so <laughs> it, it, it might get it right first time. It might get it right the 15th time. But eventually it boots up and everything works well. That's nice. Awesome. You know, there's actually uh, Cold Fusion, which is a web application software, does Old. exactly the exact same thing you just described. If uh, it tries to uh, compile some code and it has a problem, it will actually reboot itself and try to compile it again, and then it'll get it right. So <laughs> that's that funny. pattern is applicable everywhere, but that's fascinating. I, it, there was never a chance that it would be rebooting like 50 times, though, right? There was always like a statistical average or something. Well, statistically, maybe it, it did it 50 times, but so what? It, it, it's doing that in uh, uh, milliseconds. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not a big deal. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about a couple of the games you made. Sure. So Asteroids for the Atari 2600. Asteroids for the 7800. Oh, 7800. 7800. Okay. Meatballs yeah. in space. Nice. Meatballs in space. We're trying to show off the fact that we could have uh, Texture. Uh, 30, 40 uh, uh, rotating um, uh, sprites or stamps on the screen at one time. We said, this is the perfect game for it. Uh, and so we made a very colorful, uh, graphical uh, asteroids. It played very well. That's good. But and the then hardware engineers were always targeting the hardware to make sure we could play Robotron. That was what they said. <laughs> oh. The test of whether it would work or not. And so Robotron was the game that the hardware was being designed for. That's interesting. Especially since that wasn't an Atari game. True. Yeah. But it was one of the favorite of Tom Westberg's and. Tom was the head of the uh, VLSI design, so yeah. Robotron was the test case. Howard Scott Warshaw told us that that game was on site at Atari and people played it. Oh, yeah. So that's <laughs> kind of fun. God, I can't believe I don't own a Robotron. I don't know what's happening. I have one. It's tucked away. Shut up. There, there will be one in Starcade. <gasps> I'll come down there. So, so uh, Brendan Parker just asked a question. Tell, like, there was a list of games that you had mentioned that didn't release. Can you tell us something about some of those? Um, 
Well, on the 20, 2600, uh, there was only one game, I think, that we worked on that did not release, and it was Millipede. Um, uh, we did uh, Centipede. I did that working with uh, Mike Horowitz and Josh Littlefield, uh, and it came out really well. That's an awesome um, port. I love that version. They're very, we, Missile Command and Centipede are done so well on the Atari 2600. And, and so we, we, we had spent a lot of time you know, really pushing how the hardware worked uh, to get Centipede to work properly on the 2600 uh, as well as we could. Um, if, if people have never uh, understood what's behind the 2600, basically you can have two uh, sprites, two little dots, uh, and a background at any given time. But... The at any given time means on a scan line. Um, and then you can replicate each of those sprites up to three times, so you can get six of them. So picture kind of Space Invaders, you get six things across. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, played with it a lot, and uh, Atari was doing the same thing at the time, starting to say, well, if, if you get really, really clever in your programming, you can cause... Um, uh, this sprite to reappear at different places by writing while the beam is going across the screen. Um, and it got nicknamed later racing the beam. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, so to create centipede, uh, without having it flicker too much, uh, we, uh, were doing a lot of really hand coding of the, uh, portion of the, uh, game or the portion of the code that, uh, handled the on screen, uh, uh, drawing, and was able to get the flicker way, way down and get the game quite playable. Um, mm. Then, immediately after that, uh, Atari had already put out the arcade version of Missile uh, of Millipede. Uh, we started on the Millipede uh, game um, and um, took a lot of our code from the, the uh, initial Centipede. We had not been given permission yet uh, to uh, go ahead with it by Atari, uh, but knew that they're going to need a millipede game. And whenever Atari marketing eventually got around to assigning a team to it, uh, it was already way too late in the schedule. Uh, they would uh, get the, uh, the, give the assignment and say, we need it in two and a half months or whatever. So we figured we'd get a head start on it. We told Atari we were doing it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there were political issues inside of Atari that mm. we were getting all the good games uh, <laughs> because we had a uh, bigger, faster team uh, uh, <laughs> to work on them, partly because we were starting before they were even assigned to us. Um, and Atari was an internal, uh, sorry, Millipede was another internal Atari game. Yeah. And so they wanted the Atari engineers to have a chance uh, at programming it. Okay. Um, and so a parallel uh, development started uh, on uh, the 2600 Millipede inside of Atari. Uh, marketing was well aware both sides were doing it and smiling. Uh, <laughs> going, we can't lose. Yeah, right. <laughs> One will get to market and they'll probably push themselves. And quite honestly, we both, both teams pushed ourselves really, really hard. Uh, and ended up with two very good versions of Millipede. Um, we believed ours was better. Um, we got called by uh, uh, a top person at Atari uh, who said, yes, 
We're going to use the uh, one designed in California. Uh, the team needs a boost. Uh, we did not take it too well, uh, but moved on. And so the GCC Millipede got shelved and never made it to market. Mm. Oh. Were, were there any other arcade games specific besides Pac-Man and Missile Command that maybe you started to look at it for like five minutes and then you were like, yeah, we're not going to do this. This isn't going to work. Or was it always Miss Missile Command? Or was it always Pac-Man? Um, in, in terms of enhancement kits? Correct. Um, I, I think we looked at a few. Um, we, we tried, we, we, we did some reverse engineering of the original Asteroids and we're working on an enhancement kit to Asteroids. Um, we just uh, had problems uh, really viewing how to uh, make it different uh so we only played with that for a little while part of the reason we played with that was that it was also 6502 based as was missile command and we had the emulator Mm. um just backing up when we during our spring break senior year decided to uh start working on super missile attack we had to buy an in-circuit emulator from a company called genrad uh it sold for twenty five thousand dollars I had to borrow the money off my mother uh, (laughs) that all the quarters we had earned went to pay my tuition, uh, which never got me a degree. But um, so we we borrowed twenty five thousand dollars off my mother to start uh, the super missile uh, to uh, create the super missile attack. And uh, when we finished that and started shipping it, we wanted to do the next enhancement. Uh, Asteroids fit very nicely because it was 6502 also, and we already had uh, an emulator for that. Uh, But Pac-Man eventually won out because it was selling so big, it was hot then, as Asteroids was already uh, a little bit old. Um, And we had to buy another in-circuit emulator for another $25,000. Tektronics, so we could uh, do uh, (laughs) Pac-Man. Oh um, but uh, I look back and say I believe we made the right choice, uh, yeah. right place, right time. Uh, some dumb luck, some good programming, some aggressive business moves, and everything came together. That's great, Brian. You have a quantum you might want to talk about. Yeah, you like so you were talking about this a uh, little bit before the show, before we went on air. But give us um, a little bit of the story behind Quantum. I know that's one of the games that you worked worked on. Okay, so the um, when we signed the contract with Atari, uh, it was to develop arcade games only. Um, that's what uh, we were originally doing, and eventually we uh, started doing the cartridges, uh, the home cartridges also. Uh, but uh, we uh, started the development of uh, several games uh, shortly after uh, we signed the agreement and started hiring the engineers. Uh, Food Fight was one of them. Quantum was the second one. Uh, Junior Pac-Man got started on pretty early, realizing that if, or shortly after Miss Pac-Man started selling, saying, well, if the second sequel did well, why not do a third? Um, And so we got started on that quite early. Uh, But Quantum was a fun one. Um, I started work uh, on that with uh, uh, Betty Tilko, um, she did most of the engineering uh, on it uh, because I was jumping back and forth between several projects, and Art Ng uh, did the hardware on it. And um, we 
uh, we're bringing up the hardware and the software at the same time. Uh, at the time, um, uh, the hardware uh, had an issue that if well, we viewed as a hardware issue, uh, the hardware engineers viewed it as a software issue. If you were to draw <laughs> a beam off the screen way too far, it would uh, uh, have problems. It would blow its fuse. Oh, um, and oh. these were these fortunately on the board were these really nice tubular fuses that uh, cars use and everything else. Um, and our software, Betty's and my software, kept making mistakes every now and then and drawing off the screen and blowing out the fuse. <laughs> and so the way we fixed it, as any good software engineer would do, is we just bought a big box of fuses. <laughs> Oh my every God! Every time we ran and something blew, uh, ran off the screen, it blew a fuse. We popped it, put another one in. Uh, but we we were very respectful of the hardware. We did not jam a penny in there or anything. We that just let smart. it keep on uh, blowing out the fuses. And so we <laughs> we had this big bin uh, sitting next to the development station of all these burnt out fuses. Uh, but you had to um, you had to have thought that can't be us blowing a fuse when you're writing the software, right? Well, we knew it was us, but we kind of thought the hardware should be more tolerant. Yeah, of, really. Uh, us bad software programmers. How does it spike the the voltage so high that it blows a fuse? That's crazy. Uh, Brian may be able to explain that better than I can. <laughs> Maybe you can talk about how the Tempest attract sequence is like super harmful to the monitor. Oh yeah. Well, it, I, the person I say he disappeared from the chat. That could probably explain it the best. Is arcade Jason I saw was hanging out later or earlier. Yeah. Right. What was what was the um. What was the? I mean, Quantum's kind of a weird game. I mean, I like it. And yeah. A lot of people that come over really enjoy it because it's different. Mm -hmm. There were only there were very few cabinets made. But what was you know what was that the idea behind that? Who was sitting around going, let's take a trackball and circle atoms stuff. <laughs> In well, it, it it started off uh, almost entirely uh, Betty uh, Toko's creation. Um, uh, she um, uh, was working with Art. Art was doing the hardware, and we were doing our first vector hardware. And Betty um, uh, had it hooked up to a trackball, and to kind of test the uh, vector hardware, just said, "Okay, I'm going to write the first bit of code, which is just going to kind of be an etch sketch." And so you move the trackball around, and uh, you can draw things. And she got really good. She could write her name really fast. She could yeah. uh, draw perfect circles. You know, it, it wasn't as bad as an etch sketch where you have to uh, work two knobs. Right. In the trackball, you could do amazing things. So she goes, you know, watch this, draw a circle. And then, you know, she'd write her name and whatever. You go, That's really cool. And she goes, okay, so we have to do a game where basically you're just scribbling on the screen. And um, she uh, started trying to just uh write things and circle things and whatever and quantum kind of got bored out of, uh, born out of that um i i don't know how how early on uh the actual tie-in with quantum physics and uh all, all the quarks and everything else that went into the game uh when that came but it was a game where uh basically to do something you're going to just try circling it and uh that's where the gameplay started off um I find the game really hard. I hate when I set the highest score because my my handwriting is terrible as it is. When you have me write my name with a trackball, it looks like a. Brand that. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. And, and I've heard people say like they love the game because when you do set the high score, they get to write really inappropriate things or draw really inappropriate things. Yeah, which is also <laughs> kind of funny. I mean, but I, you know, it is really the the execution of that game, the colors on that game, the use of the vector monitor, like that. It really is a. It's a beautiful game. Like it just. It really. It's it's fun to watch. Like you're playing it. And you're watching it, and it's really kind of a pleasure to watch what's happening on the screen. I'm terrible at it, and I still enjoy like playing it just because I'm watching this stuff happen. And it's it's you're making pretty shapes, and that combination of the vector hardware with the trackball really, I, mm-hmm. I think, was was genius. Yeah. Well, it it was gorgeous, and as you said, uh, it was such a natural motion to take the trackball and just draw circles and lines. Um, turning it into gameplay, uh, I think it worked well, but not really well. Um, that, um, it, it, as you were saying, is more gorgeous than a great gameplay. Yeah, it's it's hard, and there are people who come over that love it, and there's people that play it and they just quickly move on to other things. But I, I think it's a, and I think part of the problem is it's hard. I mean, it is a it, really hard game to be good at. Yep. And, and yet, I do watch some people that are really good at it, and it is just amazing. But that's true with almost every yep. video game, where you watch an expert at it and go, okay, I can't do that. I can't even get close <laughs> to that. Hmm. Mr. Peabody did have a question. And it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a joke that's been running out throughout our seasons, Doug, so I apologize. But Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> He did want to know if an enhancement kit could be done for Exterminator. Which he doesn't even know about. (laughs) Nobody should know about that game. And this is the new season. And I'm going to start booting people who talk about Exterminator. (laughs) So I have an Exterminator in my basement. Adam's least favorite game. It comes up every show. So... Not this season. It's not going to. (laughs) Yeah, you just try and stop it. You already tried to get rid of gadgets. I can stop it. I know how to stop it. So, I actually, and I didn't realize this until going through some of the stuff, but how how did you guys come up with the sprites? Like, how would you evaluate different sprites, or how would you decide what they were going to look like? Because um, you went through and did a lot of modifications to games. So like, you know, coming up with what they'd look like. Did you have an artist? What, what was your execution of that? Uh, it depends when you're asking. Um, so, when we did... Um, um, uh, Ms. Pac-Man and originally Crazy Auto right. uh, our sprite design system uh, was graph paper and a light bright um, <laughs> oh yeah if you remember light brights uh, oh, yeah. as a kid uh, the problem with the light bright was uh, the pattern uh, of the holes is hexagonal or yeah. the, uh, they're, they're not on a perfect grid so you had to do every right. other hole and whatever uh, but some of Ms. Pac-Man uh, was uh, tested out on light bright. Uh, some of it was done on graph paper. And Steve Golson still has uh, some of the original graph paper uh, sketches of when we were working uh, on them um, and trying to make the designs. Uh, they were not done by an artist. Uh, they were done by Mike Horowitz, one of the uh, programmers, That's cool. uh, to determine what it looks like. And he kept on coming back and going, okay, I just put a red dot on. Now she has lipstick. Go, That's a red dot. No, it's lipstick. <laughs> yeah. Good enough. 
<laughs> every, every day, you know, it, it ended up looking different. You know, Ms. Pac-Man at one point had red hair, uh, red long red hair coming off, uh, almost a full mane. Um, and that's the way it was uh, uh, until the ROMs were showed to the uh, president of Namco over in Japan. And we just got uh, a, I think it was a fax back to Midway who sent it back to us which said no red hair and so no ginger lost your hair and got a bow instead Smart. Um, but we only had three colors to work with we had yellow blue and red so uh yeah no red hair we're not gonna go blue hair so no hair uh a bow instead she got a mole a beauty mark um, yep but eventually uh when we were designing sprites we we developed um a uh sprite development system um that uh, was just on a computer, uh, which we had three artists in house uh, that were designing them and mm. doing a six or an eight by eight uh, uh, pixel or sixteen by sixteen pixel is quite an art form to get them looking good uh, and then moving and whatever. And so, uh, so some of the engineers worked on developing the system to develop uh, the, each of the sprites. Well, Crazy Auto had like 16 different positions for the main character. And when you reduce those, well, first of all, you don't have legs on them. So that makes it easy. Because you just need to turn the character then, right? You don't have to have to animate the legs. So, I mean, there must have been some design considerations um, that you, while you were making it, you're, you almost overcomplicated it and then had to peel it back even a little bit. Yeah, we, we, we did overcomplicate it. Uh, we, we were uh, right in, as we were designing it, we were right in the middle of our lawsuit with Atari mm-hmm. and learning uh, from that what claims against an enhancement kit would be. Yeah. And so we were trying to uh, do some of this, uh, do some of the changes to prevent the misrepresentation of origin, trademark dilution issues that we're facing in court. And so, uh, for example, the Crazy Auto uh, uh, monsters uh, were uh, a lot cuter than the Pac-Man monsters. Yeah, they had right. fuzzy antennas and uh, whatever. And we just wanted them to look different. Uh, well, and that it, it was all part of the Atari suit that was causing us to go those directions. It's interesting, though. Crazy Auto actually looks more like the Pac-Man side art than, than the original Pac-Man did. You know, so Bally Midway had this blob with legs. With red eyes, and you guys made a blob with legs with blue eyes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Was that on purpose? You were trying to copy the side side art character, or I don't know. Um, Subliminal. I, I listened to that question two years ago when uh, you you asked Steve that, and um, I had never even paid that much attention to the fact that Crazy Auto looked like <laughs> the side art. Isn't that funny? Um, it it obviously does. Um, I don't know if we did it consciously, subconsciously, yeah. uh, or whether Mike Horowitz would claim that uh, he never even saw the side. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because, you know, I don't even remember asking Steve that question, but I know I did. <laughs> mm. So, uh, Mark, we we are uh, past the top of the hour. And uh, listeners, thanks for sticking with us. We have a um, we normally put all the names into the hat. My my equipment is in flux here, so we're going to do it a little differently tonight. Um, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I, I'm counting 11. ten. Eleven, 11 names. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
10, 11. Uh, there's 11 names in the ha- in in uh, the hopper tonight. Uh, so, Doug, pick a number between 1 and 11, and they're going to win one of the coins that you uh, showed us tonight. One of these coins? Yeah. And I t- well, first, tell us about the coin, because we need to know more about it. Well, in, in geocaching, uh, people uh, often mint coins, uh, and there are two different types. One uh, has a unique serial number on each coin uh, that you can actually track as it moves from cache to cache. Oh, cool. So I might place it in a cache, and the next person takes it and drops it off in New Mexico. Then it gets found by someone from Germany who takes it back and then ends up in France. You so can cool. look at it, move oh. out. Um, and then there's a smaller version called a path tag. Uh, and the path tag uh, is more of a collectible. And people have huge collections because uh, many, many geocachers uh, kind of just use this as their calling card. Uh, so the path tag is the, uh, the smaller one uh, in this case, okay. and the uh, cool. geocoin is the bigger one. Nice. Um, so we'll give away a path tag then. How's that? Okay. Well, no, I, I think we should do what Oprah would do. Okay. Path tag for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> give me all the names. Everybody's a winner. 11 oh my gosh. Winners. That we can do that. We will. Okay. That yeah, is fantastic. Address and everything. Yeah, we've got. We I'll export it and send it to you uh, within the next twenty four hours. And I'll mail out a path tag to everyone. That is fantastic. Awesome. Thank you That's so much. Wonderful. Doug is the new Oprah. There we go. That is. You get a coin. You get a coin. You get a coin. And if you look what? under your seats right now, there's no coin, but there will be one. Surely. <laughs> Andrew Baldwin submitted just now, like a quickie. So now there's twelve people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. We're we'll, cutting uh, it off. We'll cutting see. it off. I'm going into the form and just saying. <laughs> Doug's going to be busy uh, with with mail. You know, well, anything we can do to help out would be great. Uh, I, uh, that is a fantastic gift that you just gave. Um, so uh, I think we've covered quite a bit tonight. I, I would love to keep talking to you. And I have a whole bunch of questions. Like when the Nintendo showed up at Atari, did you get to see it? And were you part of that whole 7800? Like we got... We had to just got to keep them on the line so that they can't sell this thing in America. Or I mean, what, I mean, I have all kinds of questions about. We can't answer tonight. Um, but the, the very quick two cents on that is uh, no, I did not even know to, did not know that Atari was talking with Nintendo. Yeah, I, I I did fly over Japan and look at the Nintendo system and kind of gave my feedback to Atari management. On That's it. cool. And did a comparison of it versus uh, the 7800. Yeah. And I, I personally felt that the 7800 crush, would crush it. Yeah. Um, and had it not been for the whole timing with Jack Trammell and whatever, uh, we might not have ever had the NES uh, here in the United States, but it would have been all Atari 7800. But that's yeah. a different story. It is a different story. And I, I mean, and it's a really fun story. We, I mean, it's really interesting this little company called GCC that you started with your friends, how many little things you've touched over the years? How many, how many pieces of the arcade industry and home console industry you've influenced? And it's how many f- people went on dates and they played Miss Pac-Man and then got married and then had 20 children. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, right. it's, it's probably true. I mean, uh, and, and to be part of, 
the team that developed one of the top five grossing arcade games of all time. That's, you got to be pretty proud of it, right? Well, we, we, we don't talk worldwide. We just say uh, for the Western <laughs> Hemisphere or for North America, we're sure. the largest grossing uh, game of all times. Nice. That's sweet. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. So uh, do you have any parting advice for our listeners tonight? Uh, no. About life? Word, no words of wisdom? Panic. Uh, Go uh, make, for it. Make sure you get a good uh, vanity plate, you know. I, I had a good vanity plate down in Florida. Uh, it was M Pac-Man um, on my Tesla X. Uh, uh, moved to uh, Boston uh, right at the start of the pandemic. Uh, we drove up, uh, and then I went to apply for a vanity plate in Massachusetts. Uh, one problem, they have a restriction on only six. We only have six letters in mm. on Massachusetts driving uh, or, or license plates. And second of, uh, during the pandemic, uh, they are not issuing vanity plates. Oh, so yeah. I have some random plate on my car right now. Oh, that's got to be frustrating. Hey, and speaking of Tesla, and just on the, the, the last question, are, are you interested in the Cybertruck or no? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> uh, no. I've, I've owned, a, uh, my wife and I, we've owned an X, a 3, and we both uh, now have Ys. And uh, ah. very much like those. Okay. The one, and I do, I do have a roadster on order. Oh, cool! The one, the one interesting tidbit I heard about the truck was if you bought ten thousand dollars in Tesla stock the day they announced it, by the time that they are shipping it, well, sorry, no, this was like two months ago. They aren't shipping it, obviously. You would have been able to pay for the truck in full and the taxes on the money they made. No way. Yeah, yeah that makes uh, sense. This is one of the reasons I have a Roadster on order. I'm a very large Tesla shareholder. Okay. <laughs> That's a good investor. Uh, yes. Do you, do you need any more sons? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I have two sons, one at Palantir and one at Google. So, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, not at Google, that's for sure. But, you know, <laughs> this guy's he's smart. So, hey, is MIT going to give you a, 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 a... Did they posthumously... Posthumously? Posthumously? He's still alive. How come I can't say die? Alive? He has yeah, died. Yeah. After he dies. Did you get an honorary, maybe? Honor. Yeah, yeah, he's an honorary. Did you get an honorary degree? MIT has never given out an honorary degree in their history. We should, um, we should maybe... Let's start uh, though I, I have received an honorary degree. Um, oh, good. It, it's from my high school. Oh, cool. Uh, so I have two high school degrees. It's nice of them to give you two, just in case the first one fails. There you go. Okay, no. I'm on the phone tomorrow morning. <laughs> He's just like, this is Bob Zars, Dick. <laughs> hey, what's going on? <laughs> oh, no, we just gave it away. Fifth season. I'm just doing an impression. What yeah, are you that's true. About? You're pretty good at that impression. Raphael Reif. He is the 17th president of MIT. I will be talking to him in the morning. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, man, what's up, man? <laughs> Doug, stick with the deck. Doug, uh, again, thanks I'm for being on the show. Honored to have you on the show. Um, stick with us after the, after the outro, and we'll, uh, you know, we like to Sarah, say good. goodbye off the air and, you know. Give you our group hugs and okay such very good all right so hang on and and uh let's get this let's get this sad outro hey and everybody thanks for tuning in uh season premiere uh five years now we're going to our fifth year so this is this is a lot of fun 
Uh, thanks for being with us tonight. <clears throat> and I think it's time uh, for us to wrap up the double R's. This has been Arcade Radio. Hey, don't forget to check out Old School Gamer Magazine. You can pick up a subscription at www.oldschoolgamermagazine.com. Oh, yeah, that's me. Check out our website at arcaderadio.com. That's where uh, you can, you know, sign up for all our stuff and you can actually watch old videos and stuff. So check it out. Call and leave comments at 612-548-GAME. That's 4263 in case you can't spell game. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoying the show. Pick up some Arcade Radio swag over at teespring.com slash arcade radio. That's R-C-A-D-E-R-A-D-I-O. Or consider supporting our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash arcade radio. Multiple tiers starting at just $3 a month. Every little bit helps with running the show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, which you're listening right now. Click that notification bell so you will know when we are streaming live or have accidentally started streaming live. (laughs) If you like what you're hearing, consider dropping a five-star review somewhere where you listen to podcasts. That'd be great. And that's it for the show, and it's a brand new season. So hopefully Gadgets will be a little bit more respected this year. That's it for the Arcade Radio team. We hope you enjoyed the show. We had a blast, and we want to thank Doug for joining us. Hello? That's a new problem. I did do it. <laughs> Are there chatters? I can't see anything. I see Billy Seven, Metropolis. I see Brendan. Brendan. <clears throat> Brendan Parker. All right, talk about stuff. Okay, so close to two seventy. Now let's different topic. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm serious. Do not. Let's not talk about that, please. You got it. <laughs> Sarcasm. <laughs> you can talk about the T-shirt I found. Oh wait, Tell me. I shouldn't talk about that either. No. Oh. Hmm, well, let's see. Oh, I have like a... I think I wrote down something for me to talk about. Let's see if I can pull that up. Season... So we can Go talk ahead. about... I got my um, Synvectron working. So I okay. can now play War of the Worlds on my Asteroids Deluxe cocktail table. Nice. I can play Star Castle, War of the Worlds. Now, they, they did this thing where you can play some of the games like Tail Gunner. The problem is, is that... Um, you know, you have like an up, down, left, right. And so you're basically doing analog joystick with buttons and it's terrible. Like, it's just not, I just, after a little while, I just shut it down. I'm like, this just completely is not worth the time or energy of doing this. Ah, but it's really fun playing war of the Worlds. Um, armor attack. Yeah. Not so great because like, if you get rid of the actual pattern over the screen on armor attack, really difficult game to play. Cause you're just running into stuff. And no idea why. Um, uh, and then and there's a few games on there that are interesting uh, but again I've been practicing my War of the Worlds the most and then flicking, I've actually been enjoying Asteroids Deluxe a little bit too so very easy to switch back and forth Asteroids yeah. Deluxe that's a great it, it, do you just need to make a switcher then I, well somebody was making one and they supposedly had too much noise in it so they you know I don't know what was what the noise was causing, but they said that it was really 
disrupting the ability to switch between those two in a way that they felt marketable. So they stopped. There was somebody working on that. And there's like the giant circuit board you can put in your Asteroids Deluxe machine to mount the Synvectron. So, that, sorry, I you know, Doug, you probably don't know. I'm just using these terms. But, um, so Synvectron is a um, FPGA uh, emulation of Cinematronics games that somebody built that installs directly into Asteroids Deluxe cabinet. So you can play games like Rip Off, uh, War of the Worlds, Star Castle, all on kind of uh, traditional black and white vectors that weren't Cinematronics vectors. Okay. Which is pretty neat. And they did the FPGA emulation. So it's a hardware emulation running the original ROMs. And so theoretically, if done correctly, uh, the actual emulation is much closer to the original play of the game. Um, in some cases, like with the big kit uh, that Crafty Mech did, uh, you know, Tim McVeigh will say he can't tell the difference between Nibbler on a big kit and Nibbler on a real machine, on a real board set. Hmm. So kind of interesting stuff that's being done on this show i will not ask the question why (laughs) (laughs) no that's a great question it is that is that's an excellent question i think a lot of it comes down to some of these games that people are you know like war of the worlds there's so few of them made and people want to be able to play this on a vector monitor and so by doing this, you, you kind of enable people to be able to take their Asteroids Deluxe, which is a relatively common machine, and play War of the Worlds. Or play, actually, they put QB3 on there, right? which is a Rockola game that is a prototype. And so a lot of the collectors now are kind of, I guess, getting bored with uh, normal <laughs> stuff and looking for, hey, what can I find that nobody has or is not here or not there? Um, and I was lucky enough, I actually own a War of the Worlds cabinet, uh, one of the original dedicated ones. But, you know, it is kind of a fun, different game. Okay. Two things, Brian. Hmm? Number one, shut up. Number two. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> no. The hostility. Number two, you look like uh, you're sitting in a hole. Oh, it's I- a little low. You're just a. Did you show off your your beautiful body there? <laughs> <laughs> you need some more scrub there. Huh? Let me. I'll, I'll drop the neckline a little okay. too. Did you wear a U neck from now on? Thank hey, you. you guys. You know this is season five, so I had to change my background. People are asking they, about that. They don't make U neck scrubs, and I don't have other clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't wash. Can't wash my own clothes. What What is to your right, Adam? That uh, ledge over there. To To my right. Uh, is that a my right is over here yeah well behind you to your right uh right there that that little ledge that you (laughs) yeah that's that's a window oh it's a window okay yeah it's one of those things it's a screen it's very boring this is a a curtain (laughs) that has the atari logo on it but you can't see it because it's too big i see okay Okay, that, I'll ask the same question again. Why is there a person with an Atari logo on it? So he could take a bath in that in that room. <laughs> <laughs> That's my uh, so this when I am able to open up my arcade again to people, I want to be able to shut off my recording stuff and my all my soldering equipment. So I and I don't have the clearance for a closet door clearance. So I had to put a, a curtain up and I and. It just so happens that a shower curtain fits here perfectly. And so I printed a, an Atari shower curtain to cover up all my stuff. 